Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. It is 8.20 a.m., a little early this morning. That's because Lil Nas X just dropped his song, Industry Baby. So you know what it is. Go ahead and check that out. Go watch that. Oh, they do it? <laughs> no, but for real, um, got to head over to the IRS office this morning. So, well, really a little bit later, but going to take a while to get there. Um, and seriously, go check out Lil Nas X. This dude's amazing. Everything he puts out is just amazing. His lyrics, his storytelling, his flow, his instrumentation, his videos, his concepts. Like, this dude is incredibly talented. The marketing that goes into his videos. Like, this is the type of marketing that that is, that, <laughs> that is interesting, you know? Um, granted, it might be just because it's for music. And at the same time, he surfaces serious problems in our society <laughs> in a fun way in a fun and engaging way but nonetheless fine little Nas X so incredibly amazing I'm so inspired and uh awed by what he does so go check out his his stuff man if you haven't already but uh yesterday what did I do I got down the rabbit hole of urban planning <laughs> Um, I meant to focus on working on that project for with with Zach, um, the good information platform, where we are going to we are going to basically start saving the things that we watch or consume in general, make little notes on it, and make a whole platform about it so other people can find can better find good information. You know, um, so the vision there is that eventually you have a whole internet whole alternate internet or at least part of the internet in which you can easily find the best information on the internet you know i know this was done and many times before but those were then <laughs> right it's not like those were unsuccessful right there's plenty of people that do this today um curation sites and everything like that and it's basically the same thing but i just think there is never enough of those <laughs> Because we have to fight misinformation. We have to fight bad information. We have to fight all this crappy stuff out there that doesn't really, you know, give you good information. So uh, the more that's out there that's, that's curating really good stuff, I think, uh, the better it will be. The better the internet will be. Um, and we have some ideas for, you know, a number of ways in which you can make it even more interesting, more engaging. But we'll see what we get into. But anyways, I, I started watching some videos by this YouTuber called um, Not Just Bikes. He talks a lot about urban planning, specifically in America and Canada, and how it differs from the rest of the world, um, especially um, really advanced cities like Netherlands. And, uh, ooh, buddy. Ooh, buddy. He was talking about a lot of things that I have myself, you know, observed and put words to you know, the problems that I saw. And he's traveled. He's actually traveled around the world. Um, been to a lot of cities. And showed showed examples of this. So, if you don't believe what I was saying. In terms of the problems of suburbia. Of green space. Of um, a lot of American cities. Go watch his channel. Not just bikes. 
And um, there's a nonprofit group that's unrelated to him, but he talks about a lot called Strong Towns. Strong Towns. And they talk a lot also about this sort of thing. So it's a huge problem. And it's something that I am super happy that more and more people are engaging with. Because this is critical, right, to creating better communities, to creating a better country, a better world for many of us to live in. So I'm going to touch on a few of these that really stood out to me. Because I, I knew this was a problem. But I, I, even though I knew this was a big problem, I still didn't realize how big of a problem this was. So he did this series called... Um, uh, strong Towns, something else. Or was it just Strong Towns? I don't know. But he was basing it off of the book he read there, which they did a whole bunch of research and all this stuff. And basically, the entire setup of our subdivisions, right, and much of our urban planning in America and Canada is inherently unsustainable. So what they learned was that first of all in America many cities were actually built correctly initially meaning they were built around a central transit system like a train station and then the locals would basically bet on the future that's the exact words there and they would build their houses their businesses right there on that train line on that tram line and then from there, the, the, the town would naturally, you know, organically grow outwards. All right. So you would have inherently mixed use neighborhoods where you can easily, you know, support your local local producers. You might see this in small towns, even to this day, that the ones that are still left <laughs> or the ones that are kind of vaguely supported, where you can walk down the street to you know all these local chain all these local local stores so like a little grocer um a little you know tool shop or something like that you know all these small little shops that you might see around a old train station right that's how mo most of the u.s was built out and then when it started growing they started adding tram lines in certain places so you can get out to the the you know the outside areas the suburbs in those days um more easily and even there right you would see the same thing it's kind of like a fractal type of thing so you go out to those tram lines and then that suburbia was built around those tram lines and uh it was it was really cool you know you have a, a diversity of housing from single family homes to duplexes triplexes quad quadruplexes or fourplexes whatever they call them right you have these mini apartments then later on you would have larger sky rise apartments and buildings and all this other stuff you see this in some areas in new york and other areas who kind of try to retain this sort of thing but in most places unfortunately during world war ii um, or after world war ii and as uh cars started to being more important started being the new thing they started bulldozing these neighborhoods it started bulldozing all of these places. And if I can take a little tangent here, this is the key time in which a lot of black communities were also destroyed. It wasn't just suburbia in general that was destroyed. It was key functions 
of black communities, for instance, Black Wall Street, you know, Tulsa, the, um, I forgot what it was called, but there's a neighborhood in, uh, over where Central Park was built. I mean, granted, I was a little bit before this time, but there's a long history of <laughs> destroying black communities and <laughs> putting other things there for the sake of, you know, the, the, the country or whatever, right? Anyways, go look that up if you don't believe me. Um, when they bulldoze these places, right, these older suburbias where there was a diverse mixture of places, they replaced them with car-centric areas because, of course, the car is the, the magic of the future, right? <laughs> Everybody would have a car, right? And so they created these huge roads, these highway systems, going straight through cities instead of around them. And they paved over, you know, a lot of places where mom and pop shops were, where local stores were, and instead put these big box places with large parking lots, paved over a lot of where the, um, again, the local suburbia was, and replaced it with these modern-day suburbia, suburban places where it's only single-family homes. And the real insidious nature here is that it became illegal. It became illegal to create more diverse neighborhoods. That's right. Where city and, you know, <laughs> state, whatever, uh, licenses and, you know, the, the licenses and the permits that you need to build stuff. They said, hey, if you want to build a house or whatever, you have zoning laws. You can only put residential places here. And then you can only put, you know, um, schools here. You can only put commercial places here. And of course, they were far apart. Why? Because they said, oh, everybody would have a car. <laughs> everybody would have a car. And so what they did there was single family, even in residential areas, it was only for single family area, single family homes. You only have one door. You have to have, you have to move your house back a certain amount from the, from the curb. So you have space for a driveway, you know, etc. And so what actually happened is, of course, what we see today, where so many neighborhoods look the same. They're all monotonous. Furthermore, you can't even walk to a local store anymore. There is no local stores. There's very rarely any local stores besides maybe your convenience gas station nowadays. Because now, when you pave over, right, these places and the only way and the only you know mixing of areas is, is the residential zone and all the way is your commercial zone all the way over there is your commercial zone all the way over here is your you know schooling zone that means you can't you have to move further right you have to walk further you have to drive further to get to where you're going but of course if you're in a car it doesn't seem that bad but these places don't have sidewalks right there's no real walking zones or or there's no infrastructure built up for people who are riding bikes or walking to get from the residential area to the commercial area so many of you who live in america and canada can probably attest to this 
try to walk to your local Walmart or whatever, right? <laughs> or whatever stores are in your, your, your area. There's, it's highly likely that you live in a place where they have what they, um, what the not just bikes person and the, and the, the uh, strong towns people call strolls. So strolls are this dastardly hybrid between streets and roads. A street is basically a small little, usually residential, you know, street. <laughs> a residential path in which cars can go, but mostly it's a place for pedestrians. So you can, if you want examples of this, look at the um, many cities in the, in, the, in the Netherlands. And even some places in New York, right? Where there's mostly pedestrians walking and it's... There are storefronts and things like that within easy access of the road, so you don't have to walk across an entire, you know, <laughs> um, parking lot to get to a store. You just walk right into the little store. And there's a whole bunch of people walking around, and the cars are usually in a single lanes or two lanes where with through traffic, so it's one each way. So either one lane, which is single directional, or bi-directional two lanes, right? And that's it. The rest is for pedestrians and ideally mass transit like tram lines that they have in the uh, Netherlands. And so that's that's the, that's what a street is supposed to be. It's easy for pedestrians to use that street. It's safer for them because cars cannot go through too fast. <laughs> when there's all these people around, all these bikes and all that stuff, cars usually, you know, people drive slower. On the other hand, there are strolls. I mean, roads go all the way to the other end is roads and these are of course wider lanes these are meant for cars these are meant to quickly move from one place to another so cars are the, the the main thing here you there's no sidewalks on roads you move the sidewalks away from the road so people there's no you know um accidental there's no there's less accidents that will happen there on these roads you have when you have a curve it's usually as straight as possible, but when you have a curve, it's gentle, so you can, you know, drive into the curve while maintaining your speed. There is um, shoulders to the road, so you have these clear zones, so you don't, so if you do crash or anything like that, it's it's not as fatal. Um, and a number of other safety features. There's also, you know, fewer and far between uh, turning lanes. So if you're trying to turn into a different area, you don't have to worry about when when the next turn is coming up. You you clearly see it. There's huge signs showing you when the next turn is coming up or whatever, right? So you can take your time and get ready to, to turn off the, the road. And of course, there's highways bigger than that. Everybody knows what that is. But a strode is, again, a hybrid between the two. So meaning it's not clear if it's for pedestrians or if it's for cars. But of course, because cars are the bigger thing here, it's going to be biased towards cars. So even when you have a sidewalk on a on a stroll, right? That sidewalk is going to be right up next to the curb. So it's not at all safe. It doesn't feel safe. <laughs> Most drivers are not looking out for, for the pedestrians too much. And you have way more afraid of accidents. And strolls, this is where this is why they use so many lights with strolls. Right? Whenever you see a light, you have to stop. And wait for the oncoming traffic. It's there's so much more into this. Like he, he goes way more into it, so I highly suggest you go, just go look that up. But 
Strolls are terrible. <laughs> and it's a terrible name because it is a terrible, you know, hybrid. And the fact that most of American Canada has these, you know, these strolls is, is, is appalling. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep using this term because it's a, it's a beautiful term, even though it's a really ugly word, <laughs> but it's meant to be, you know, because again, it's like, it's so sad. If you want to walk from one place to another in most places in America, it's extremely difficult for you to do that. If you want to get from one place to another in most of America, you need a car, right? Mass transit is a joke in many places in America. It's only for what? Poor people, right? <laughs> And because of that, the, that distinction, because of that um, negativity for mass transit, there's no support for mass transit. And yet, and yet, people spend billions of dollars building more highways and roads and strolls, rather. Right? Just widening the lanes. <laughs> this is why you have five, seven, even seven lane, supposedly roads, that are in the middle of a of a place where where you also have sidewalks on the side and you know they try to put a, a bike lane in some in some areas but the bike lane is right next to the road to the supposed road or strode and so you have high fatality accidents high level of fatal accidents um but the, the the real thing i was trying to get to here is that with residential areas with suburban areas in america car-centric suburban areas they're inherently unsustainable it costs more to maintain suburban areas than it does a traditional suburban area with mixed-use um, zoning that's right so and there's less tax revenue that you can get per square footage in a suburban area in a modern car-centric suburban area why because you have these huge sprawled out areas, right? Where less people are there. And even with roads and strodes, because of how we design them in America, or really just haphazardly put them anywhere, there's less through traffic. In a place where you have streets and, and, a, and a clear bifurcation between streets and roads, like in the Netherlands, they can have more people move. They can move more people per street and per road than we can with strolls with seven ten lane strolls <laughs> that's that that just boggles my mind politicians just say oh yeah put another lane put another lane but we all know that does nothing that just in, in, increases the traffic because you say more people can drive here and so more people drive there and it's still the same amount of traffic so it's it's just Inherently inefficient, waste of money, unsafe, boring, ugly. Like it's just dumb. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> and the and the biggest the biggest like slap in the face for all of this is again these car centric suburbias make less tax revenue than the traditional Mixed-use areas where you can have businesses in the in the same area, right? You can have a number of businesses with little storefronts. They might be, you know, they might be, they might not be super pretty, but they're, you know, little mom and pop shops. Like you're literally your mom or or your dad, your grandparents, right? They can open a store right there on the curb. They can walk to work every day if they wanted to, but you can't do that anymore. 
in most of America. Most people work in what? Offices, right? You have to drive 10, 20, usually 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour to your work. That means you're spending money. When you go out for lunch, your tax is in that neighborhood, right? The business pays tax in that neighborhood. And your schools, right? Because of suburban areas and zoning, you have schools further away than homes. And because you have schools further away than homes and you can't have, you know, a lot of these strolls are not mm-hmm. safe for kids to walk. <laughs> they, ha- they have to build these schools away. And when they build these schools away, you, they usually have to big, build bigger schools. And so they have a whole bunch of kids in a large area going to a huge school. And the only way to get them there is to drive them. What do you know? It's a continuous cycle. Oh, guess what? We can't let kids walk to school. We can't have these smaller schools. There's, there's no safe places for them to walk. Yeah, that's because you designed the, the place that way. You designed the entire thing <laughs> that way. And so there's a bunch of d- development issue, issues that comes up when the only way for kids to get a place is for you to drive them. That's a whole other thing that I've talked about a little bit before. Um, and in, in, at least in other areas, not in the space of driving. But the fact that kids don't have any sort of freedom, you have to drive them places everywhere. You can't walk to school in most places. And, it, and it's unsafe to walk to school in other places. Like I went to, um, in many, many places I went to, even when I lived like five minutes from the school, literally a 10, 20 minute walk. It's down a strode where, where cars can drive up to, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. There's no sidewalks in half of the place. So you're literally on the, gra- on the grass next to the road. Sidewalks and driveways jutting out into the road. So you have to kind of watch where, you know, if this car's coming or not. It's, it's just stupid. <laughs> and once again, so because these residential areas, because these zonings, cars, car-centric areas are to get less tax revenue and cost more money to upkeep because now you have to, you know, um, resurface all these roads, all these strolls, really. And because these strolls are so big, right, they have two, three, four, five, six, seven lanes, you have to spend more money resurfacing the roads. And because of that, it costs too much and there's not enough tax revenue to resurface the roads. And so that's why you see so many roads in America and Canada with terrible you know pavement that's like terrible asphalt have um pit pitfalls and all this other stuff in it like you know what i'm talking about my words are escaping me i'm just so disgusted (laughs) but and to this moment like you might hear i'm walking they're trying to resurface this road but it's been they've been it's been sitting here for the last i don't know last few week last week or two like, I thought they were doing it um, the other day when I said, you know, they were resurfacing the road. But I come back, and it's still it's still here. It's like, it's still just as disgusting. <laughs> and, of course, resurfacing the roads is just one thing that you have to maintain in these residential areas. You also have to maintain the, the cable lines, right? The pipelines, the sewage, the gutters so on and so forth and of course because there's not enough tax revenue to maintain all of that what happens 
it get it doesn't get maintained. <laughs> it just becomes a waste. It becomes dilapidated. And so, of course, you have this blight. Then you have white um, flight, right? And you have a whole cycle. A lot of cities become bankrupt. And what's crazy, why I said it was even worse than I thought, is because it turns out that this is completely, there's literally no way in which a car-centric suburban area can become... Well, I thought something, something was falling back down. I'm not sure if you heard it. But anyway, there's no way for these places to become profitable. I mean, there's no way for these places to have enough tax revenue to ever ma- maintain their entire neighborhood, their entire, you know, zone. <laughs> and so cities are bound to become bankrupt. But of course, in America, many of these cities can just borrow money from the government or whatever, right? They can borrow money, they can take out loans, and they go into debt. This is where you get into the whole problem of, of American debt. And there's so much more into this. Like, because these places are car-centric, there's less draining. So when the rain and all this stuff, this is why flash floods are so prevalent in much of America and probably Canada. This is why you have so many issues that we have. Because of these car-centric areas, these zoning laws. It's, it's just really ridiculous. And again, I'm probably missing out some other key features. Like, I didn't get to the actual numbers here because I'm not a numbers person. But again, you can look up that video yourself. Not just bikes. has a whole five-episode playlist on uh, Strong Cities and a number of other great videos talking about how to better design cities and, you know, all this other stuff based on examples of people who actually are doing it really well. And places like the Netherlands... They actually set out a plan, right, to fix their cities because they were they too were being a little bit too car centric, and in the nineties they said, "Nah, we gotta set out plans." <laughs> and so interesting. There's just so much into this in terms of like noise. If you care about noise, the best way to solve that is by having streets, because the main even in the city, right, the main thing that makes the city noisy is the cars. The fact that you have so many cars driving through the middle of a city where it's supposed to be, you know, a place for a whole lot of people, businesses and homes. The, the fact that a lot of Americans think that only real living options is either, you know, in a single family home or in a huge, ugly apartment or expensive apartment. <laughs> right. That's that's a problem. He made a video on this called The Missing Middle. Where you need these middle houses, where you need these places that can be, you know, duplexes, triplexes, um, small apartments. So just like three, four, four, four apartments. And some places here in Atlanta, I've seen people, they've been trying to fix this issue. But again, because Georgia in general is just a car-centric area, it's still a fundamental issue. We have to change the, the residential zoning laws first before we can really fix this issue. You can't just build a bunch of, you know, middle housing apartments, but you still require cars. Because there's another thing he pointed out. 
is because so many places require cars, it's inherently more debt-ridden. Like it's inherently more difficult for lower-income people and even middle-income people, right, to make a living. Because in order to get a job, what they what you need a car, and I I I've experienced this all my life, right? It's been extremely difficult for me to really get started on you know my career and my job stuff. Because in order to get anywhere, I need to buy a car. But my family is impoverished. We can't buy a car. I don't have good credit to get no loan to get a, you know, any of that. Good riddance, too, because I would be in debt right now. <laughs> I don't have good credit, but at least I don't have debt either. <laughs> so it's, it's just all around, like layers and layers of bullshit. Excuse my language, but not really. Like, this is really bullshit. And people might say, oh, dang. So, how is America not collapsing? Well, it is. (laughs) So many of these problems that we see with lack of social cohesion, with Trumpism and all this other stuff, a lot of that comes from this frustration with the delusion of the American dream so many people are mad about not having a job not having a good job not having a good place to stay being in debt you know knowing that their kids are not going to live a better life than they are a lot of people are really frustrated about this and they take it out on others they take it out on people who they seem who they think should be lesser than them or people who they who they think is getting more than them or people who are seem to be blaming them for privilege or you know a lot of people take out things on all sorts of reasons because they're frustrated yes there are racist people yes there are sexist people yes there are transphobic people all that stuff but at the end of the day a lot of people are just frustrated and so they're more likely right to find some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, or some sort of, you know, happiness, <laughs> whatever you might call that, in being racist or sexist or whatever. Because to them, at least they can be better than somebody if their life is so miserable. Of course, that's not the only reason why people are racist or sexist or any of these things. But it's a huge factor, and we see this. We see this in a lot of psychology things. When you have a difficult childhood or you, have a, you go through intense adversity and you never actually learn how to get through it, you never actually learn how to deal with it, where your coping mechanisms, your coping mechanisms are unhealthy, you strike out. You become aggressive. Or you become recalcitrant. Right? You put your armor on. You don't let anybody get close. So on and so forth. So I'm willing to bet that if we improve the zoning laws, we build mixed-use areas where different people can live together in the same area. Because that's another thing, right? Because we have zoning laws, it's actually illegal for you to build different size housing in the same area. Like, I'm living in a neighborhood right now, even, even though it's a little bit of, you know, Distinction in these houses Like there's two story And there's one There's ranch housing I'm willing to bet That all of them Are are roughly around The same price point 
and because you have no mixed use house, like you you have no you know um, duplexes or triplexes or whatever, you probably don't have a whole bunch of families, different families, you know, sharing a general area. This is where NIMBYism comes in. Not in my backyard. Where people say, oh no, I don't want that here. Because what? They have this fear that they're going to bring crime. But in reality, most crime is a result of a subpar environment. A living environment where you have to struggle your entire life to get anything. I'm not going to get into that right now. I talked about it a little bit with the water boy situation a couple um, episodes ago. But yeah, these residential areas, they make it illegal for you to put mixed-use housing, for you to put different size housing in the same neighborhood. So you can't have like a, you know, a house that costs 50000 next to a house that costs 200000 and a lot of neighborhoods they have, all have to be generally the same size generally the same lot size you can't have a minimum size they even set a minimum size like theoretically you might say oh yes it, it's humane because nobody wants to live in a small house but there's plenty of people who want to live in a tiny home this is a whole this is a whole you know movement now tiny homes but if you make it illegal to build any of this diverse you know home type of things in your residential area then you have classism. You have inherent classism. Where people of the similar and you know, socioeconomic status all live together. And they almost are never exposed to people of a different class style. And now you have a, a gradation. Now you have a, a almost a, a game-like system, right? That materialism coming back in that says, hey... You see that other neighborhood over there? They got bigger houses. If you want a bigger house, you got to level up, right? Make more money. Then you can move to that neighborhood with the bigger houses, the two-car garages and all that stuff, right? (laughs) It's really terrible. How can we expect people to respect others who come from different backgrounds, who come from different, you know, socioeconomic status, if they are never exposed to those people on a regular basis, if the only time you're ever exposed to a quote-unquote poor person is when people are begging on the street or when you see some crime on the news or something, then that's your only, you know, picture of what it means to be poor. That's your only picture of what poor people are like. Same thing for black people versus white people versus Indians versus Chinese, whatever, right? Like, it's really stupid. But I think this is a good place to start, to start really making a difference. Change the zoning laws. So you can have mixed-use areas. You can once again have small local shops and businesses within walking distance. You can build out actual walkable cities so you don't actually need a car. And that way you can save money, Right? You don't need a car for just for your, to get to your first job. You can just walk there. You can get a bike. You literally do not need a car. Like if you need a car to get a job or to do anything in our society, what? Well, of course, you, it's just going to build a society built on debt. 
built on materialism built on this idea that you need this 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 in order to be successful when in actuality we've just built it up that way we've designed our society mm -hmm. to be inefficient and stupid <laughs> it was funny too in the not just bikes video he was like the only argument against you know building um a a clean bifurcation between streets and roads and building non-car centric you know cities is I want my freedom cars cars car <laughs> is it <laughs> cars go vroom vroom <laughs> and that's pretty much the only argument and even that is of course a silly dumb argument because freedom is having the choice of needing a car. It's like you don't actually need a car. Freedom is only getting a car because you actually want a car. Not because you were raised to believe that you need a car. Not because you, <laughs> right, in order to get a job you had to get a car. Not because of any of these dumb reasons. That's actual freedom. And guess what? If we do, you know, have a clean bifurcation between roads and streets, you can drive your cars faster because it'll be safer. You can just go to the highway or go on the road and drive and there's no stop signs, there's no stoplights. I was looking at this thing in, in the Netherlands where they don't have stoplights. They rarely, or rather, they rarely ever have stoplights. On roads, if they can, they put a roundabout. Or rather, on streets. Is it streets too? <laughs> or oh, yeah, that's how it goes. So streets going into roads, right? They try to put it on a roundabout or intersection. If you need an intersection, then you use a light. But usually, you try to put it on a roundabout so you can you don't have to stop at a light because on a strode, right? When it's a whole bunch of cars going really fast, and you have a whole bunch of cars going really fast the other way, the only way to stop them, of course, with a stoplight. And if anybody knows anything about traffic or accidents, you know that these intersections are the most dangerous place for drivers and pedestrians. There's the highest rate of accidents. You might have heard this, this the, the stat, but last year, you know, during the pandemic, when there were less cars out, there was more fatal accidents. Why? Because people were driving faster. <laughs> and of course, in America and Canada, there's only stoplights. There's no natural, you know, slowing down and watching out for people and all this stuff. No, you just... Phew. So the only reason why we don't have more accidents with these strodes is because they're so congested with traffic. So you can't even use your car very well. You're just either stuck in traffic or, you know, have to watch out for accidents. Because again, on strodes, there's too many turning lanes. You have to look out for when people are coming out of all these turning lanes and all this other stuff. You have to look out for intersections. You have to look out for pedestrians, bicycles, buses. Versus if we had a clean bifurcation, once again, you could just have a road which is almost like a highway, like a small highway. You just ride out. <laughs> Versus on the street where your speed is capped at roughly 30 miles an hour. And there's a whole bunch of people. There's a bunch of bicycles. 
Hopefully there's some mass transit lines, some fast trains. So you don't even need a car if you don't want it. You can go from one place to another without a car. Go across the city reliably, quickly, without a car. That's freedom. So yeah, I was uh, watching a whole bunch of these videos yesterday. And, um, goodness, it's crazy. It's, it really is insane. I really hope we can uh, help change this. I'm, I want to see what I can do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have much say or sway or anything like that, but I can see about, you know, these, these zoning laws. See if there's anybody, you know, looking to change them in my area. See if I can support that yeah, movement. I think that's that's that would be a huge, huge step in the right direction. There's a number of other things I was looking at yesterday too, but that's that's the main thing that I wanted to uh, talk about that I learned. I also had this uh, LinkedIn post where I was posting that how frustrated I was with my job search and things like that, and the fact that I kind of get frustrated and demotivated, almost depressed with you know the job search. It's like so many places I feel like are working on things that are not important. Like, I was looking at a bunch of jobs the other day, and it was like, oh, that sounds like it might be an important, you know, thing. Like, oh, yes, we're innovative. We make cool projects. We can pick the world. And, of course, you look at it, and it's just marketing. It's just an advertising company. I'm just like, oh, seriously, what <laughs> what impact are you doing? I know a lot of these places put these words there because they want people. I mean, they claim that they want people that, you know, are passionate about changing the world or about making an impact or just have some passion, right? are creative and all this other stuff but the fact to me that the creative industry when you say creative industry and and mm -hmm. um in terms of business what you what you really mean is just marketing i think that's really really sad and kind of disgusting yes marketing is important but not that important compared to let's say you know making innovative products that make our lives better and you might say, oh, how are you going to market these products that make your life better? And yes, if you were marketing products that make your life better, sure. But they're not. They're not. We know that. Most people know for a fact that most marketing is for products that don't do anything. They're trying to persuade you. They're trying to manipulate you into believing that this materialistic thing is going to solve your problems. But we all know it's just a distraction. And so what we really need to do is have more creative, innovative people thinking about services, thinking about systems that make our life better, like a better zoning area, a better ways to design cities. Like imagine, and this is one of my dreams, imagine there being a, a, a job where you simulate cities. That's right, simulate cities. Where you can actually show people, hey, if you have this residential area, and you have less tax being able to be paid. You have all these roads and all this other stuff. This is what's going to happen. Right? You, you won't be able to maintain it years down the line. You're going to go into debt. You're going to go bankrupt. All this other stuff. And it's going to be less walkable. Nobody's going to be enjoy. It has less community. Versus if you build this area. And people might say, oh, that's just urban planning. But here's the problem. Look at, look at where we live. There's clearly not enough urban planners that, that know what they're doing. 
And furthermore, once again, I'm thinking about this from a creative, multifaceted standpoint. So it's not just people who went to engineering school who are now expected to be urban planners or something. It's people everywhere. If you ever live anywhere, you might have some interesting things to, to say. If you traveled, right, you might have some interesting things to say. You can go to one of these places. Maybe it's a community center. And you can give your insight like, hey, I, I lived in Japan for a little bit. Hey, I lived in you know, the Netherlands. Hey, I, I moved here and there. And you know, this is what they did. And so you can crowdsource that information a little bit better. You need designers to really make some cool, some, some cool system, systematic thinking that says, hey, if you, you know, have, if you're trying to manage uh, commercial lines and, you know, this and that and mass transit and all this other stuff, this is how we can put it together. It's just the same. It's problem solving, problem finding. We've, to some extent, it seems like we've over-specialized. We've over-specialized into people who are supposed to be urban planners and yet know nothing about what it means to having a good urban area or a good suburban area, whatever, right? They just have this a theoretical idea in their heads that says, yes, everybody will have a car and so you can get from one area to another, room, room, go fast. But in reality, look where we are. So clearly there's, there's a huge problem here. And so what I'm saying is that we need more industries more companies, more organizations, whatever, in which people from multiple disciplines can actually work on cities, on how to make cities better, on how to make housing better, on how to make food better, on how to make more sustainable living, how to make all this stuff that we actually care about. Instead of people saying, yes, let's make another widget. Let's make some more marketing campaigns. It's to an extent where I look at a job, I'm just like, what do you, so what are you marketing? What kind of companies are you marketing? And it seems like they're marketing the marketing of the marketing campaign. That's right. <laughs> look at something like, like, uh, like Aqua, right? I was, I was looking at this. I was like, huh, this is, seems interesting. Huge company, apparently. I never heard of it before, but apparently they have a couple thousand people. Highly regarded. They have this whole, you know, Black Lives Matter thing on their site. And I was like, huh, wow, okay. And look at what their products are, even though it's a little bit difficult to find. And it seemed like they were marketing like Coca-Cola stuff or marketing a, a New York Times thing. or You know, you're marketing somebody else's brand, which is just a marketing for their product. And this is not just like I've seen this with a, a number of really of, of places that claim to hire designers. Right. And these designers are really just visual artists are really just marketing people. I'm just like, what? No, huh? I'm not sure about you, but when I read Darn Norman, when he's talking about nuclear facilities that could be designed better, where he when he's writing about how the 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 nuclear fallout, the um, the what do you call it, the Mile Island, the Three Mile Island um, incident, that was caused by a a failure of design. And so he wrote an entire book. He started his entire design career in order to better design huge systems like that, like nuclear facilities, like like airplane, you know, cockpits, like all like stuff that's crucial. Like if you misdesign that stuff, you can kill people. 
Like he's talking about how to redesign things and of course smaller things like doors. Like the fact that you shouldn't have to figure out how to use a door, right? But he's designing not just some apps, which yeah, some of them, some are important, but he's designing like real products and real systems that people depend upon every single day. And yet so, so many design designer jobs are just, oh yes, let's make a creative marketing campaign. And that's what got me so frustrated. I'm just like, where am I supposed to, what? How am I supposed to be passionate or excited about getting a job? I, won't, I don't want to optimize somebody's, you know, e-commerce site to sell yet more products. I don't want to optimize freaking <laughs> uh, how many people click this convert button for this random product that nobody cares about. Like, where's the people that want to change the world, that truly want to make the world a better place, not just put more products in it? Like, where, where are those companies? Because I'm, fi- I'm finding it difficult to find them. Companies I used to be excited to work for, IDEO. I look at what they're actually doing. It's just mostly marketing. Sure, they have some interesting campaigns, but then it turns out they use design thinking. So most of their stuff that they designed is from a inherently flawed foundations. But they claim they're making a difference, but they're making it worse, or just not even measuring if they actually did, you know, improve the <laughs> the the system that they worked with. Like if they built a school out in the middle of nowhere, you know. How do you know that they actually needed a school? What if they what, what if they actually needed, you know, just more support in the community? You know, a better area where you have the elderly teaching the young in that same community how to, you know, live a sustainable life within that community rather than in a westernized school where they're learning western <laughs> history and nothing about their own history. So I don't know. I just I just get really frustrated with the the things out there. And again, this is why like I just figure I need to build my own things. But then I I get frustrated because for some reason I find it very difficult for me to be cons- consistent with my own business building. And I don't know why. Like I feel like you can tell in these podcasts I'm I'm very passionate about it. I care a lot about it. I do a lot of research about it. And I try to make I try to say, hey, it's, it's because I'm learning. It's because I'm looking at all this, you know, stuff about society. And, and, and to an extent, that's true. Like, I'm learning a lot. And if I would have started as hard as I did before, there was a lot of stuff I would have missed that's really crucial to the to the, to this problem I'm trying to solve here. And yes, I, I, I do know that at least I'm trying to do a little bit. At least I'm learning, right? But at the same time, I'm just like, I wish I could do more. I wish I could... Be, push myself more and be more consistent you know push something out there so I get frustrated with myself because I'm not doing enough and that just makes it worse because then if I'm, if I'm frustrated I find it hard to you know actually do work because when you're frustrated with yourself you feel insecure it feels like nothing you're doing matters anyways like I'm not putting out good work anyways so it's like what's the point <sighs>
but you know, doing this sort of thing helps as well. It's a little bit therapeutic. Talk through my my issues and <laughs> my frustrations and what I'm learning and all of that stuff. And uh, hope I can actually do more. A lot of people commented on my LinkedIn post the other day, yesterday. Gave me some good perspectives. Like, you know, even if you're working on something that ultimately doesn't matter, like another e-commerce site, at least you're making it easier for the people that depend on that stuff, that, like, build their business on that stuff, right? So that folks like my mom don't have to struggle with somebody's e-commerce site to order a whole bunch of cups. <laughs> so that if she wants to craft more things, she can, you know... She can do that without having to worry about how to maneuver somebody's e-commerce, somebody's ugly, you know, inefficient e-commerce site or whatever. At the very least, I guess we can, you know, improve people's daily lives so they're not struggling with the tools that they have. But ultimately, my biggest problem is that I just don't like incrementalism. I think incrementalism is a bit of a mistake, at least right now, in the time that we live in, when we have so many exponential problems, it feels like incrementalism, which is, you know, just making little things better, is not enough. <laughs> because we, 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 we're we stuck with so many problems of our ancestors, of colonialism, of capitalism, that we have to make massive changes. So I'm like, if I'm not making those massive changes, if other people are not making those massive changes, then no matter of, no amount of incremental, you know, small things is going to make the difference. That's the problem with exponentialism. It far, far, far outpaces any sort of linear growth. If we ever have exponential growth versus linear growth, bet on the exponential. Sometimes it may take longer to take off, but when it does, it's it's... It's off to the moon, <laughs> literally. So that's why that's what I really want to get to. And that's what I hope I'm doing right now, is trying to figure out that exponential growth. Every day I try to learn something new, try to apply it some way, talk about it so that I can really digest it, share it out so that other people can learn this stuff. And hopefully all of that will compound upon itself to, to create an exponential movement. I don't know if I'm doing it right because that's the problem with exponential growth. You don't really know if it's exponential in the beginning. It's not really certain. Sometimes, you, I don't know, if you're better at math, if you're better at measuring, maybe you can figure it out. But from the outside, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. <sighs> but I'm trying. I guess that that's, that's what any of us can do. Just try. Recognize that there is a problem. There's a lot of problems. And that we need to do something to fix it. Hopefully we need to do something drastic. But also make sure that drastic thing is the right thing. We don't want to create another suburbia. We don't want to create another car-centric disaster. So make sure we educate ourselves on the history of things. The history is such an important thing. can't believe I, never, I used to not like history in uh, middle school. But it's so, so incredibly important. Because it teaches us, you know, the mistakes of our past. So we don't have the same ones. 
It's just so ridiculous when so many people repeat the same mistakes that our ancestors did. I'm just like, literally, you could just open a textbook. You could just Google things nowadays. You could just ask people, ask the old people, <laughs> what, do they, what do they regret in their lives? What do they wish they could do? Anyways, that's it for me for now. As always, thanks for listening. Keep, keep uh, learning and have a great day. See ya. Bye-bye.